Hodge title because we wanted to cover so many bases uh, as it pertained to sexuality and gender and, and marriage, and um, we'll actually end this series with a, with a sermon on church polity um, and gender, how that all relates together and everything, and so um, there's a lot of bases we wanted to cover, and we actually realized this week, we got some emails from some of you that were asking about some great questions regarding sexuality that we realized we didn't, we could have made another sermon out of that too, and we're not going to probably add one, um, but we will try to get back to you or, or to weave it into one of these two, so there's just so many great things to cover uh, here. Uh, so that's where we are right now. Today, today's topic is singleness. Last week, uh, Jesse, one of our elders, preached on marriage uh, as a single guy himself, and then I'm preaching on singleness as a married guy. I've been single before, um, but married now, 16 years married. Um, but we, we did that. That was by design because we wanted to, um, I think just in part, uh, just kind of convey that the, the truth behind marriage and singleness is objective. It's, it, it's not bound with experience. Obviously, experience is a great teacher, and there are things that a married person can say to marriage that a single person can't. Uh, but with that said, the, the gist of the idea, you know, the, the theology behind marriage, what it ultimately is, and singleness is outside of experience. It's more uh, a gift from God or something that he kind of defines in his word. And so uh, part of why, partly why we divvied this up the way that we did is to kind of convey that uh, a little bit. And, and also just kind of for fun. Like I've never preached on singleness, I don't think, here at least at Hiawatha. So we did a series in 1 Corinthians years and years ago, and I just didn't, I didn't have that sermon. Someone else got that one. So um, this will be just kind of fun for me too. Uh, but the, the main passages are 1 Corinthians 7 and Philippians 4. Uh, if you want to open your Bibles or phone apps there, that'd be great. Uh, in fact, 1 Corinthians 7 would be the, probably the best place because I'm going to jump around a little bit. Context, though, is huge. and I'm not going to look at every word. So if you want to be reading that during the sermon, great, or maybe later on today, um, the whole chapter is... Uh, great in terms of not just singleness but marriage and sex to come up in earlier verses and then he goes into this big spiel on uh, addressing singles in in the church so the the question then today the, the preaching question is wh- where is the gospel and the idea of singleness and so I want to address a few questions here we're going to we're going to come back to these but how do they relate to each other gospel so good news Jesus's death and resurrection and single people in the church uh, and, and the greater question of sexuality and I think Highland mentioned contentment. We'll talk about that today. But how does that all fit together? What's the Bible have to say about it? And how does it factor into Christian living and a healthy theology of church community and friendship? So that's, I mean, I hope I'm not biting off too much, you know, more than I can chew here because that's a lot of stuff. But I think those are kind of the questions that we want to try to get to, some more than others. But the Bible does speak to those things. If, you, if you're um, new to Christianity, maybe, not a Christian yet, or you just haven't read much of the Bible yet, the, the, the Bible speaks directly to singles, which is kind of cool in and of itself, that the Bible speaks directly to singles in the life of the church uh, and, talks to, um, and, and talks directly to them. So, so we will as well and kind of hear God's voice call out to all of us in that. So we'll talk about some of these things today. A few big things to start with, though, just to remember from last week if you were here or if you weren't, the Bible says marriage is good and sex within the marriage context is good. In fact, in 1 Timothy 4, I don't have a verse here, but... 1 Timothy 4, Paul says, the, the, the author says, teachings against marriage, so, so saying that singleness is better than marriage or that marriage is too much of like an indulgence, and so in, in other words, promoting a type of asceticism in the church that uh, looks kind of down on marriage is demonic teaching. So not just like bad teaching or like, oh, that's not that great, we can do better. It's actually from the pit of hell. And so marriage is that good and it should be that held in honor among all. 
And it also says, we have all of that, but it also says, the Bible does, and God himself says, singleness is good. Chaste singleness. Singleness without sex. That type of singleness is good too. And so right off the bat, we see that Christianity is kind of complicated when it comes to these types of categories. It's not overly simplified. It's not saying that one is good and the other is bad. It's saying both are good, or at least can be, because those two things can be twisted and forms of it can be marred by sin as well. But it's saying at the core, those are good God-given things, and, and they are good. Which means then there must be something else other than them that is ultimate, because those are kind of opposites, right? Marriage and singleness are kind of opposites. And so to say that both are good and not one is bad, that, that, what that's saying is the goal is not to get to the good version of the, of, of the pair. The goal must be a third way, that both types of people can look towards together in unity, and that third way or third person is Christ. And we'll talk much, much about him today and, and specifically a little bit later on. And then lastly, as kind of just an aside here before we begin, in the Bible, when singleness is written about, it's written to marrieds as well. And when marriage is talked about, it's written to singles as well. And so there's something about marriage that all need to hear, namely that it's a picture of Christ's love for the church. When a husband is dying for his wife, laying his life down for her and loving her and sacrificially, that's a picture of Christ's love for the church. It's a picture of the gospel. And so all need to hear that. Marrieds or singles, some singles will become married someday. They need to hear it because of that, but also they need the gospel. But even if singles are never married, that's the gospel for them as well, and, and the, the gospel for, for marrieds too. And so again, marriage should be held in honor among all. Hebrews 13.4 says that. But there's also something about singleness that all need to hear. One, because there's gospel in it. We'll talk about that later. But two, many of you who are married now will be single again at some point in your life. In fact, most married people are single again at some point, right? Whether by death, their, their spouse dies, or divorce. Most will experience singleness again, even if it's just for a little bit of time. And so the idea here is kind of prepare yourself for that or think like a single a little bit now so that when or if that happens that you'll be uh, kind of taught up or caught up on what the Bible has to say about this. And then third, as Sam Alberry says, he's a single man who writes a lot on, on singleness. I'll, I'll reference him a couple of times throughout the series. I uh, just commend his books to you and his podcast on this stuff. He talks a lot about Christian singleness. But uh, Sam Alberry says that we are a part of a body here in a family where this is a big deal. And so, uh, marrieds, especially in the room, you should care about this because your brothers and sisters who are single care about it. And so we're not just a collection of individuals here, we're a family, and it concerns some in the room a bit more than others, but because it does, it should concern the others of us as well. It's kind of like a, a parent with no artistic ability whatsoever starting to learn a bit about it because his daughter takes up a huge interest in it. You know, like in love, like I care about my daughter um, and I have no artistic ability, say, and then, uh, but I, I want to read up on it because she's interested in it. Or my son loves soccer. I can't play it, I can't play it at all, but I want to learn about it because I love him. It's, it's that kind of idea. So marrieds, singleness should interest you because there are singles in your church and it interests them. All right, so just a few sides to start with. What I want to do though today is look at four affirmations about singleness that help us to see Jesus and to be equipped in the church for ministry, friendship, and contentment. That's the goal for today. If you want to follow along in those inserts inside the worship folders that you received or should have received, 
Uh, great, you don't have to, but if you're a note taker or want to look ahead a little bit, um, that's kind of the direction where we're going. But four affirmations in no particular order uh, necessarily. It's, uh, there's so much to say about singleness, we will not exhaustively cover it today, but, but there's a lot we'll say, so let's, let's dive in. First is, singleness was experienced by God himself through Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? The God of the universe has experienced singleness through his son. He knows what it's like. He lived as a single man when he became human. And so a couple things we can say off of that to start here. If singleness has been a burden to you ever in life, some of you, maybe when you were single before you were married, but singles especially in the room, if singleness has been a burden, Christ has bore that burden because he was single. So the idea here is that Jesus didn't come into the world to live extravagantly or to receive all of life's earthly blessings in every capacity, but rather to die for sinners, and that in that he was a man of sorrows, Isaiah 53 says. So sometimes just the notion that God can empathize with us and understand our burdens and carry our burdens and that he became like us in order to save us can do wonders to help us feel close to him. Jesus became like you in order to save you. Isn't that great? All of you. But, but if you're single in that particular way, and all of you, all of you either are single or were single. So he, he became like us in his singleness in order to save us from our sins. That, that, that's the idea. We call it the incarnation in theology. He incarnated himself into human flesh and took on our humanness, but also just like aspects of what it meant to be human in order to save us from our sins. All right, so if singleness has been a burden, Christ bore it. But if singleness has been a joy or a blessing, Christ has embodied that joy and blessing. You know, the, the fact that Jesus never married shows us that marriage isn't ultimate. If marriage was an ideal, or if as Christians we said or believed that uh, marriage was a part of salvation or an ultimate end to why he created human beings, then Jesus would have married. Plain and simple. Or at least he would have taught more against singleness. And he certainly would not have said this in Matthew twenty-two thirty: 30, for in the resurrection, Christians neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. He never would have taught that. See, because marriage is a, is a shadow of the reality. It's, it's a shadow of the substance of the gospel. The gospel is Christ's love for the church when he died for our sins. And marriage is a reflection of that, like we talked about before. Because that's true, it's possible for Jesus to be all about the substance, the reality, and actually be the reason behind the existence of marriage himself without actually being married himself physically. That's the crazy thing. It's like Jesus was the bridegroom who was never married. So it's like we can say that because the ultimate meaning of marriage, spiritually, is separate from like physical, like horizontally or interpersonally experienced human marriage. Because they're separate, Jesus can be a bridegroom because he died for his church, his bride, which is the, who is the church, but he never got married at the same time. So he is the bridegroom who is, who is never married. That's who our Savior is uh, by title, basically. So in part, he, here's what we're left with with this first thing. A single man has saved the world from its sins. A single man has saved the world from its sins. That's the bullseye of Christianity. Now, there's many other things to say, of course, about the gospel and about Christ and, and all of that, but this is a true statement, right? A single man has saved the world from its sins. And that might be a problematic statement for people who really believe that marriage is better than singleness 
That's a pro- this is a problematic statement. If you believe that, that marriage is better than singles, this is a problematic statement, or it could be. Or it could be a problematic statement for extremely family-centered Christians. Or maybe a problem for extreme feminists with the, the male side of this whole thing. But this is still true. A single man has saved the world from its sins. A man who never had sex, never had kids, yet was whole and fully human, and he serves as the centerpiece to Christianity. That is no small thing and should encourage single Christians greatly in all of us with them. All right, so that's the first thing is singleness was experienced by God himself through Jesus Christ. That's a huge starting point. The second piece is singleness shows us the sufficiency of Christ. The Bible in 1 Corinthians 7, I'll just look at one verse here. I'll come back to this in context, but just to start with this. Singles can have, this is directly written to singles in the Corinthian church, an undivided devotion to the Lord. So the idea is that singles aren't divided with like, um, you know, the the time they have in a day. They're, They're not concerned about a spouse and pleasing a spouse. They're concerned about the things of God. Christian singles are, or at least should be. They, they, they don't, they're more focused or have, have more time for that or things like that. So singles can have undivided devotion to the Lord. So marriage, the, the idea here is that marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, but single, this is a Sam Albury thing again, marriage shows us the shape of the gospel. We talked about that before. Singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel because marriage isn't necessary. It's not required. It's not uh, needed to, to be whole and fully human and to be happy and to be saved. Uh, Jesus, the guy wrote half the, the New Testament. Paul was single. Christ was single. Uh, we talked about that before. Um, and so, so a healthy marriage then is showing a husband lay down his life and, and is spend his strength for the sake of loving and serving his wife like Christ did for the church. So it shows the shape of the gospel. A Christian single shows the sufficiency of that spiritual reality or marriage to Christ with their lives of worship and thankfulness and, and as it says here, their lives of devotion to the Lord. It reminded me about uh, th- this verse, this exchange that Jesus has with his disciples in John 4 when they are eating and Jesus isn't and there's bread there and it says, uh, picking up in, in verse, oh, that's the wrong verse reference. It's not 31 to 21. That's not, that's not possible. I don't know what it is. It's it's, it's in John 4 somewhere, but um, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The bread was good, a God-given good thing. But the fact that someone, Jesus here, who gives good things and doesn't himself partake of them points to the fact that there must be something even better. You see that? Jesus is saying there's something better than this bread. So the bread is good. It's not bad. But the fact that he's not partaking, he's saying there's something even better and you don't know about it yet. And so to apply this to singleness, a, a single Christian, a content single Christian who talks very highly of marriage, him or herself, but who doesn't necessarily need it either and is happy or content without it, shows us with his or her actions that there is something better than marriage. Does that make sense? A Christian single who's content talks very highly of marriage, though, holds it in honor above all, encourages others to pursue it even, but who doesn't necessarily uh, need it and is content without it because he has Christ or she has Christ. 
shows us with, with their actions that there's something better in the spirit of John 4. All right, so both, now speaking of the church then, this is the beautiful thing, is both marriage and singleness are important in their own ways, and it's important to have them operating right alongside each other in the church. It's sort of like we might say that some parts of the Bible are explicitly about Jesus, really clearly about Jesus, and some parts are implicitly about Jesus, not so clearly, but still about him. But they're all about the same Christ. It's the same with marriage and singleness. Marriage and singleness together complementarily can show us Christ in their own unique ways. And so God gives the gift of both of them to his churches to help point us all to him together in unique ways. So singleness shows us the sufficiency of, of Christ. All right, third thing. Singleness can be an expression of God-glorifying, otherworldly Christian contentment. I say otherworldly here because it might just be something that, you know, um, others, even inside the church, I was going to say people aren't Christians yet because that's probably mostly true, but even other Christians, but otherworldly, so like from heaven, I mean, just like, like deep-seated, where does this contentment come from? I've never seen this before uh, type way of living. Singleness has an opportunity to express that, to glorify God with it, and to build the church with it. So to start, start off, I want to say that it's okay, those of you who are single here today, it, it is okay to desire marriage. It really is. I, I remember, um, uh, not that I'm the example of why this is okay or anything, but um, I remember being in college, lying on my bed, staring at my bedside table, just trying to go to sleep and praying the prayer, anytime now, God, when I was single, with the idea that I'm just ready to be married, you know, like in it's a story behind that, but anyway. Um, but I didn't meet Aletha for years after that, but um, I was just kind of, and I remember just desiring that. It's okay to desire marriage. It's, it's okay to acknowledge loneliness. Some of you have expressed this on your, on your communication cards. That's great. We love when you do that. We love to pray for you in that. The longing for marriage can be a whisper of longing for companionship or emotional intimacy or sex or kids, and those are all good things. And so it's okay to desire, to desire marriage. But here's the flip side. It's never okay to not find contentment in Christ alone. It's never okay to not find contentment in Jesus Christ alone and what he has to give you. So speaking to Christian singles, especially among, among us here today. Obviously true for marriage as well, uh, but with the topic of singleness, we'll talk about that especially. Let's, let's read from 1 Corinthians 7, 24 to 28, just follow along. Kind of mid-argument here, but he's saying, So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now concerning the betrothed, or virgins or singles, I have no command from the Lord. By, by that he means we have no record of Jesus teaching on this. But, but then he says, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So I have the Holy Spirit. I, I'm writing this as, as in a trustworthy, um, this should be listened to kind of inspired way. All right, so picking up. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. 
Isn't that great? <laughs> there it's like all the married start laughing in the room. But uh, I just love that, that's, that this is here. But those who marry will have worldly troubles. I would try to spare you that. All right. And this is the same guy who says marriage is just like the best thing in the world outside of Christ. And so we got to remember that. Marriage is good, God-given, gospel-centered. It is one of the most visible pictures of the gospel we have in this life outside of communion and baptism. And so it, it is, it's not saying otherwise. It's just saying it's, it's also saying this. And so we've got to just throw that in the blender and blend it up and make a shake out of that and make, that, or make our theology out of it. So, um, so he's saying here, in view of the present distress, in other words, the present difficulty and persecution that accompanies being a Christian and the shortness of life itself, maybe, and the impending return of Jesus, it's good for a person to remain single or married depending on what they were when they became Christian when they converted. So he says here, it's not wrong to marry or to desire marriage. Clearly, he qualifies it. The point here is not a command for every situation, nor is it to, he uses this word elsewhere in the chapter, the point is not to restrain, but rather just to give some wisdom. It's not, it's wisdom more than law, if that helps. Think about that way. It's wisdom more than a law for every particular instance. And so if, if you're sitting here thinking, man, I'm really happily dating someone or I'm engaged, it's like it's not saying break it off, you know, kind of thing. It's saying that God might have marriage for you in that, and that's a really, really good thing. So pursue that. But it's saying, just as a general rule, think about, think about this. And this might be something to apply to someone who's been divorced or who lost a spouse to death. Maybe seriously think about not remarrying. Like seriously consider that as an option. Don't instantly think about, okay, who can I marry right away because I'm just so lonely. Uh, think about singleness as a very, very, very good, God-given, viable option for you for the rest of your life. All right, so I, I think that Paul is also saying here, and this goes a little outside of what, what he's saying here. I'm going to pull in a, a verse from Philippians 4 to, to argue for this, but it, it, the spirit of it's here. I think Paul also saying, too much desire to have something you don't yet have can be not just sinful, it could be covetousness or envy, so it could be not just sinful, though, but also just a distraction and a trouble. And a word he uses elsewhere in the chapter, even an anxiety. So it can be an anxious thing to be married. Philippians 4, 11 to 13, same author, different church he's writing to. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So this is the point, contentment. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so just to compare and contrast here a little bit, there's a difference between, I'll just read this, a content single Christian who might desire and pray for a spouse, but who trusts in God nonetheless for whatever her lot is in life, versus a discontent single Christian who grumbles and grieves the Holy Spirit with his unwillingness to be happy in him or in Christ, and maybe who hastily gets married to a spiritually dissimilar person because he can't bear the notion of not being married or having sex or having kids. And that person almost always flounders spiritually. I'm, I'm saying this, I think, based off what the scriptures say. It, it says elsewhere, do not be unequally yoked with a, with a person in, in marriage be spiritually similar, uh, but also by experience. Uh, basically, everyone I've known who's married a non-Christian is floundering spiritually. It's almost always the case that the Christian becomes more like the non-Christian 
than, than other way around. It's possible that there are exceptions. Some of you have to be thinking about, oh, but I know this one person, fine. But it's still just unwise to do it. And it's likely that your faith will flush down the toilet with your hastiness to get married to someone who doesn't love Jesus more than you. So Philippians 2.14 says, same, same book, do all things without grumbling. Because not grumbling says, Christ is actually enough for me. He's enough. So I'm not going to grumble about my circumstances because he's sufficient. There's a relationship between, this is true for all of us in the room, so think about marriage too, being good receivers of things and just not grumbling about your lot in life. There's a late relationship between being good receivers of all of life's gifts and lots, and, on the one hand, and being good receivers of the gospel in the other hand. Because God gives both. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, What do you have that you have not received? Implied answer, nothing. Everything's been given. Everything is from God. And so if we don't believe that, it can lead to one of two things, pride or grumbling. Pride, if you think that you've worked for something and you've earned it, you've accomplished something on your own strength, you'll be proud about it because you don't believe it's actually a gift from God. Or it could lead you to grumbling because you just don't like it and you, you don't see God's hand in it. You don't, you don't see that maybe he has a plan for it in your life. You don't see it as a gift. And so the idea of grumbling comes from believing that God doesn't give everything. And it, it says, kind of without saying it, but it still says it, that Christ isn't enough for me when, when we grumble. And that's, that's why it's a gospel thing, not just a law here, but it, it's, it gets to the core of what we believe about what Jesus has done. And so the, the solution then to discontentment and loneliness, and I'll, I'll talk about those two things here because those are things that we all wrestle with. Singles, maybe some of you are in that place right now where you're discontent or you're lonely. So this includes marital status, but again, you can apply it to anything in life. But the solution to discontentment and loneliness is not getting what you hoped for necessarily because those things are fleeting. And all things disappoint eventually apart from Christ. All things will disappoint us eventually apart from Jesus Christ. So three, three things here. Uh, first and most important is Christ really is the better gift. And I'm, I'm going to use some language from Philippians 4. Christ is the secret. He's the better gift that outshines all other gifts and the disappointments of life. And so in Christ, you know, what if we could actually say, I've learned the secret of being content, whether single or married. I've learned that secret. And, and, and the secret is that there is something better than getting or not getting something. That's the secret. It's the third way. If, if it's about getting or not getting something, we'll either be elated over something apart from Christ too much or crushed by not getting it. But if the secret is there's a third thing, then it will be like a steady ship amidst the hurricane, just kind of floating, in, but we're staying afloat and we can withstand storms and we can stand on the rock and, and the, the, when the waters come, it won't wash us away to pull from something Christ said. I mean, it's... He is the secret. He's the better thing. And if he's not, then we'll obviously want the thing that we think is better. If we think marriage is better than Jesus, we'll want that more and we'll grumble when we don't get it. 
And if, if we think singleness is better than marriage, if we're unhappy in our marriage and we want to be single, if we think that that's better, then Jesus will grumble about our marriages and, and so forth. So the secret is not getting or is not, is better, it's, it's, it's better than, it is that there is something better than getting or not getting something. It's, it's getting a Christ who lost all things for me. That's what the gospel is for us today. Christ lost all things for you. And if we believe that, if we put our faith in that and trust that, if we know that Christ who loved us to, to death, to hell and back, it really is a content-bringing thing. It's what the Bible is saying. Paul, Paul's a real guy. He really wrote this as a single man. He was hungry. He had a lot of food. He had no place to sleep. He was put up pretty well in some, in some towns he was in, in houses. And he learned how to be brought low and how to abound. And he, what he's saying is, I wasn't too elated when I abounded, and I wasn't too crushed when I was brought low. It didn't matter because I had Christ. He really was enough for me. And so that's, that's the first part. Christ is the better gift. The second is seeing singleness, too, as a gift, not a holding pattern. This is a really big deal. Um, write this verse down if, if you want. I don't have it on screen, but 1 Corinthians 7, 7 calls singleness a gift, a gift of God. Singleness is a gift of God. It's not a temporary holding pattern until the gift of marriage comes. So singles don't think that the, the blessing and the gift is marriage and you're waiting for that blessing. No, you're blessed now. You've been gift given to greatly now. This lot you have in life is a direct gift from God himself. Do you believe that? Your, your contentment is probably at stake. Not just like good, good or bad theology. Your contentment, your joy. God has a plan for your life, singles. A much better plan than you could ever dream of. A much better plan. And sometimes it even looks contrary to your dreams. But it is better. That's something to hold on to as well. So ask yourself that. Do you believe that? Do you trust in his control and his sovereignty over your life? That his plan is better even if it's not what your dreams are. But he gives to you nonetheless, just like he gave when he sent his son to die for your sins. He gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. He is lavish with his gifts, you guys. All of you in the room, he's given way more than you could ever realize. He's given to you right now the very breath of life. He's given health to much of you. He's given just provision. He's given so much. And he's ultimately given his own son to die a bloody death among criminals on a cross. That's how much he loves you. And so when we look at the lesser things of life, we see gifts as well. And, and so again, let me ask you one more time. Do you believe that your singleness is an active sign of God's blessing, not a holding pattern to get it later in life? Third, Christian friendship is also a gift. Just a couple quick things on this. Marriage is not necessary, but Christian friendship is. Christian friendship is not optional for you if you're a Christian. You can't be alone and truly be a Christian. Yeah, I know technically you kind of can, but you can't. You can't stay, you can't stay a Christian. You, you, you're not, you weren't meant to be alone. We believe in a triune God who himself, within his very nature, was three persons. He was relational in his very being. So what makes you think that you can exist alone if the God who made you in his image made you to be relational? You need Christian friendship. And so when you have that, marriage then becomes less, even less necessary, at least for a season, if not for your life. 
Or think about it this way. Singleness is not about asceticism or isolated monasticism. Singles should still live a full, liberal, and by liberal I mean just generous or full life relationally. This is not about being alone, but about having deep, emotionally uh, centered, sacrificial friendships in Christ. And I don't just mean with other singles, but with, with marrieds as well. More on that in a minute. The fourth affirmation here is um, singles can be, singleness can be advantageous for ministry. So let me read, this is where this comes from in 1 Corinthians 7. Those who marry will have worldly troubles. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. Which is fascinating, isn't it? That this stuff, I, did, I don't know if it, it's just me in the room or not, but I just, I just like, this is so cool, it's in the Bible. But, um, so one thing to understand off the bat, the Bible does not paint singleness to marriage as a progression from pain to comfort. Does that make sense? The Bible does not paint the progression from singleness to marriage as a progression from pain to comfort or problem-filled life to problem-less life. Both have problems. And here, it actually implies that singles have less anxieties in life and problems than marrieds in a lot of ways. Because marriage, though wonderful, is difficult and it brings to your life more cares, concerns, worries, anxieties, events, the list goes on, on both positive and negative levels. So on the positive side, it comes from love. Like, when you care more for people when you're married, you worry more. I was always, like, I always remember my mom saying, she still says this, I'm 40 years old, but, like, parents never stop caring, you know, kind of thing or something. And I would say, okay, fine, mom, you know. But, but like, now I know as a parent, like, it's true. Like, you never actually stop, like, worrying. Like, where are they? What are they doing? You know, are they okay? Kind of thing, so... Um, but like in marriage, I mean, okay, just hang, I'm going to say something, but hang with me. Some of the worst parts of my life have happened as a married man. So, so, so I'm not like, and I'm really, really happily married. I'm just saying like the worst stuff, like um, Aletha getting really sick or our two miscarriages or kids with serious illness or we thought one of them was going to die once in the hospital and anxiety over a myriad of other relational issues, you know, so, and all that's on the positive side because it comes from you care and you love, you know, love is painful, it hurts. On the negative side, married couples hurt each other, sometimes intentionally, we're sinners. They fight, they disappoint, which is actually kind of a good thing, if marriage disappoints you, what God is telling you is Jesus is more important than your marriage, so Disappointment in marriage is actually a good thing, or it can be. I mean, if it's disappointing every single moment of every day, we can, you know, let's, let's talk about that, and it shouldn't be, but I mean, you know, disappointment is, is, a, is a grace. But on the negative side, married couples hurt each other, and so if you're, now here's the point, if you're single, you don't have any of this stuff yet, and maybe you never will if you don't get married, and not just that, what this is saying, that's actually a good thing. It's a good thing not to have it. Paul's saying, I don't want you guys to have that. If possible, I don't want you to have those anxieties. Sam Albury says, as a single man, from all the married people I know, 
and all the single people I know, I would rather be an unhappy single than an unhappy married. I would rather be an unhappy single person than an unhappy married person. From all the marriages I know, all the trial, all the anxiety, how our hearts tear open for people we love, our kids. I mean, just list it out, right? I mean, from all that I know of that, the messy divorces, I would rather be, he's not saying like singleness should be unhappy, obviously, but he's saying I would rather be an unhappy single man than an unhappy married man. So, singles, here's just a direct word for you. Be anxious for the kingdom of God. Be anxious for the gospel. Be anxious for the church. Devote yourselves to prayer, to the study of the Bible, and to loving other Christians. Use the extra time and less distraction and the flexibility you have to build the church up with your spiritual gifts. This is partly what this is saying. Don't waste your life playing video games for 12 hours a day and think, well, when I get married, I'll be more useful to the church. That's a lie. You are needed, you are indispensable, you are gifted, you're loved, you're full of the Spirit of God himself, and you're not deficient in your singleness. And you actually may have more time for ministry. Like, on Sunday mornings here, you might have more time, like, it's more possible for you as, an, as a single person without kids to um, help out in a ministry, like a kids' ministry thing, and then come to church the second service, whereas marrieds have a hard time doing that. But you could actually do that. Think about that. How can you give more because you have more time? Or if someone like that you know is really in a tough spot, like at 11 p.m. at night, it's more possible for you to just get in your car and drive over and see him because you're not leaving behind like a family. You know, like it's more possible for you to show Christ that way. And this is huge. It's more possible for you in that maybe to think less of yourself and image Christ that way. I mean, how great is that? That's like what it means to be fully human is to think less of yourself and more of others in the spirit of how Christ has thought more of us and less of himself, right? It's almost like singleness sometimes. It's not like marriages are off the hook here. Don't get me wrong. It's marriages do this tirelessly. But, I mean, singles, it's almost like you have more flexibility to do that even more. And that's not like it's this small thing. Marrieds should do all of that to each other, primarily. Singles can do it to anyone at any time without partiality, is the idea. Does that make sense? So, like, marrieds are called to especially serve each other in, in that capacity and show Christ to each other, but singles, being unmarried, have this, like, flexibility and this, like, particular call to, to show Christ and to serve everyone in their church without partiality because they're not, like, one flesh with someone. And so a big part of all of this, like freedom for ministry, has to do with relationships in the church. I don't have this on screen, but in Titus 1.4, Paul calls Titus, who is just a friend, another Christian guy. Paul, a younger, younger Christian guy, he says, Titus, you are my son. So, and Paul says that to, to Timothy as well, and so the idea here is that this idea of spiritual parenting, 
uh, others have talked about this, that's not my term, spiritual parenting, like in other words, singles, you really can have family in the church. Like, I mean, Titus isn't just, or sorry, Paul's not just using some metaphor here. This is a real thing. Like, you really can be a, you older singles, a parent in the church. You younger singles, you can be, you can, you can be spiritual brothers and sisters on a very real, tangible level and have those deep friendships, even with other marrieds too. That's the idea. But anyway, that's a whole other sermon. But, I, but seriously, think about that. What does that mean for your life in the church? And so, so anyway, to, to singles again, it, it's, it's possible, maybe even likely, because I don't know exactly where you guys are at today um, with your contentment, but it's possible, maybe even likely, that unhappy singleness is correlated to not using the gift of singleness to bless the church. In other words, it's kind of like not using the gift the way it's meant to be used. So just know there might be a better version of singleness out there for you singles that you never dreamed of. And that might be more fulfilling than the churchless version that you maybe have lived before or maybe some of you are living. I know a lot of you aren't um, because I know a lot of you are deeply, you're doing this. Praise God. I'll keep it up. But if there's kind of a churchless version or like an isolated version of singleness, that's not the type of singleness that God desires. And his answer isn't marriage. His answer is Christ and Christ in the church. That's his answer. And contentment in that. It's Jesus and it's also his son in the life of the church because we are Christ's body. And so we can't be around Christ if we're not around his people, his church. All right, I'm going to bring this back to, um, to Christ here to start to close this up. Colossians 1.16. In fact, this was actually read this morning. I didn't know it was going to be, so it's kind of a cool God thing how we line that up. You read this, didn't you, didn't you uh, Leah? Colossians 1, something to something. Okay, pretty sure. I'm pretty sure you did. But if you didn't, that's fine too. But I, I think, let's just say you did. Colossians 1.16, all things were created for Jesus. A slight paraphrase there, but that's what it says. All things were created for Jesus, and that includes singleness. So singleness was created for Jesus. Not just because he was a single man, but it was created for an opportunity for the gospel and for the kingdom. Here, here's what I mean. Christ was the ultimate single man. And he was a man, and he, he was fully man and fully God. As a man, as a man, he showed us there's something even more fulfilling than marriage and sex, namely God, his father, and having kids, namely God, his father. And as the son of God, so as a man, he showed us that. As deity, or as the son of God, he showed us in his singleness, that he came to take on the world's aloneness and sorrow. And in a way, to fulfill 1 Corinthians 7's language. And so I put in quotes and italics here different language that's given over to describe singles in 1 Corinthians 7. But think about these words and apply them to Jesus because it's all about him and all things were created for him, including 1 Corinthians 7 and including singleness. So this is what I mean. In Christ's present distress or sorrow and suffering, he remained undivided, anxious about the things of the Lord, pleasing to his Father, holy in body and spirit, and promoting good order. And the ultimate expression of Christ being obedient, focused, and undivided 
was when he went to the cross, when he was devoted there, when he was obedient to the point of death, saying, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And by that will, we have been saved through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ on the cross once and for all. Jesus wasn't just a single man, but the Bible uses singleness language to describe the gospel. Isn't that cool? The Bible uses singleness language, primarily from 1 Corinthians 7, but elsewhere too, to describe the gospel, what Christ was like when he was saving us. I mean, what if the point of undivided, focused singleness was the undivided and focused Christ, who never wavered from his path to Calvary? This is how singleness was created for him. Singleness reminds us of how resolved Jesus was to save us from our sins. You are that loved. And so see, even, even with a topic like this, it, it cannot be divorced from Christ. It's all about him. If you've ever seen a single who's been living in this way to the glory of God, you're seeing a whisper of Christ himself who was resolved, undivided, devoted, not torn, not saying, well, I don't know if I want to die for the sins of the world. You know, maybe tomorrow I will. He was resolved, you guys. He came in the world not to get married, but to die for the sins of the world, and in that to spiritually wed himself to you. He was the bridegroom who was never married. So all of you in the room, singles and marrieds, wherever you are, whatever your marital status is, believe in this Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will be saved. That's actually, and I'm not like, I'm not even calling this a scenic route when I say this. I don't, I don't think it is. This is a direct thing. This actually is the point of singleness. This is the whole point. It exists for the sake of the mission of God. It exists for the sake of Christ. The point of singleness is believe in Jesus who died on the cross for your sins and you will be saved. Then, Christian singles in the room now and some of you who are married but will be single in the future, you can show off the sufficiency of the gospel in how you celebrate marriage, yet don't obsess over needing it at the same time. And you can show off the resolved, single-minded, obedient Christ in a unique way with your focused, undivided love for, the Christ, for Christ's church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, this topic today. Thank you for your word. Um, thank you for our church. Many singles, many marrieds. Uh, thank you for your plan in that, that this really all is about you. Without question, everything in creation is a reflection of um, the artist's and creator's handiwork. Like, it's all an image of you in some capacity. We get a sense for what the artist is like by looking at the art, and we are the art. Uh, so, Father, we, we pray that as we take communion now, that you would bless this time richly and help us to focus on you as and celebrate how you have focused on us as the ultimate single man, how you were devoted to the mission of your Father, how you were you obedient to the will of the Father, which was to send you into the world, Jesus, to die for our sins. Completely devoted. That's why we celebrate this. We don't celebrate our devotion, we celebrate yours, uh, Father. So thank you for, for what this uh, meal represents and for your word today. Again, help us to worship and to celebrate and to be thankful in, in communion now. Uh, in Christ's name, amen. All right, guys, a couple quick things on communion. If you're 